DJ and PK brought to you in part by Jerry Signer Cadillac. At Jerry Signer Cadillac, you can chop your way and get a piece of luxury you deserve. Stop by and test drive one today. Time to welcome in Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He joins us with all kinds of news going on. The Pac-12's got a new commissioner. Well, they will have a new commissioner. There's going to be a change. Got the AFC and NFC title games this weekend. Lincoln, let's start with the games. And uh, obviously the AFC title game, the big question is, is Patrick Mahomes going to play? But I think the answer is probably yes, because Andy Reid wouldn't have let him have, quote-unquote, most of the snaps in practice if he thought Chad Henney was going to have to play, right? Can we deduce well. that? <laughs> Good morning, first and foremost. Good morning. Guys. But, but here, here's the thing, if we've learned anything about this generation. Um, when you have a superstar like this, of this uh, uh, the caliber, they're not going to miss the game. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. We, you know, when you look back a few years ago, when we saw the concussion protocol come into play, and you saw the after effect from the NFL, from the player's standpoint, you saw a number of people stand up and say, look, I understand what you're trying to say about concussions, but if I want to play, I want to play. And they're going to find a way to play. And they kind of, they kind of waved their way around it. The NFL did what it could when it saw somebody who abused the rules stand out. You remember when Russell Wilson got a little bit of a penalty and a fine in Seattle because he played, but he wasn't under the quote-unquote concussion protocol? That's what we've evolved to. So there's no way that Patrick Mahomes is going to miss the game. <laughs> if he's not on IR... He's going to play. You know, I always thought somebody like uh, like a Mike Trout in baseball, don't go diving into the wall. I mean, right. It's just not worth it because it's not worth to have you out. We need you in the lineup. And I'm wondering, is it worth having those types of calls on your quarterback, the caliber of Mahomes? Is the result worth it knowing the potential and risk that's involved? There are times where you would hope the, I guess, the, uh, what's the best way to put it, the better mind would prevail or somebody would stand up to protect them and look out for them. Um, but in my experience, and it happened most notably uh, this year with, uh, with the Raiders uh, and Gruden and Derek Carr, there's times where there's the loyalty of the player overrides the overall judgment. And what I mean by that is that after Derek Carr hurt his groin, he was reported to have a, um, a groin injury that was going to keep him out of 10, 14 days. Marcus Mariota came in and played well against the Chargers and almost won that football game for the Raiders. Well, I watched from the sidelines. I watched the behavior. I'm big on body language. It was my opinion that Derek Carr panicked when he saw that, when he saw Marcus Mariota play as well as he did. So the following week, rather than sit on the bench and watch another quarterback play, he chose to play. And he played at a degree to where I questioned whether or not he was injured. Because he went out there and looked, I've had a groin injury, and it didn't look like he was injured at all one week later. Um, and John Gruden let him play because there's the loyalty. John Gruden has a loyalty to the player rather than, you know, you know what? It's probably best for the future of this team if you're my quarterback if you sit down. So I've seen this happen time and time again where the player has stood up and said, you know what? Don't. Don't make the judgment for me. Let me play. And then on, sometimes it backfires and sometimes it works out. So the Chiefs are slight favorites, three points, but the Bills look really good. And the yeah. Chiefs, as dominant as they've been, they haven't beaten anybody by more than six points since November 1st. I mean, they're not, not, not just blowing someone off the field. I mean, they don't even have like a 10-point win. Right. So are all these close games, these one-possession wins, is a really good team going to be able to make a play or two and pull off the win? 
Well, certainly anything's possible, but a win is a win. So, I mean, we can sit here and analyze the factor in which they won. Well, they didn't blow them out or they barely won. The fact is they won, and they continue to win. And so it's been my mindset built up over the year that until somebody dethrones you, until somebody knocks you off, you're still a champion. And when we all look back on it, we can sit there and say, oh, well, they didn't do this. Oh, they didn't it. It's a system. Oh, it's a, you know, they got called. Whatever. They won, and they continue to move on. So that's why the Chiefs continue to be my favorite until somebody pulls them off, knocks them off. Yeah, exactly. That's what we were already been talking about this morning. When I look at Josh Allen, to me, he has the ability to just be a star and like the most recent star who's been consistent, maybe not the best quarterback in the league, but has won and won big and played very well for a long time is Roethlisberger. And I think that Allen has that capability. How do you see it? Agree. I do. I totally agree. Here's the great thing about this, and this is what I love about the game. It's a team game. The quarterbacks get so much honor when they win and so much blame when they lose. All the time, it's not necessarily their fault. You know, and you can ask the question, what makes, a, you know, what makes a quarterback? Does a receiver make a quarterback? Does a good offensive line make a good quarterback? Or does a quarterback make all those assets when it comes to an offense? Um, that, and it, it, it depends on the individual and how you evaluate it. I think the Buffalo Bills are on their way to being a consistently good team. It's a great organization, a wonderful franchise. I love Bill's Mafia. I love the fan base. I'm glad that they're in, and they are in the mix because it's good for the NFL when they are talked about. Uh, but the big thing for me is that it's not about Josh Allen. It's about the aspect of what Diggs brought to this team as a receiver and what they had. They were already on the cusp of being good. We saw them years and years before. They made a trade, and we don't. We see it, you know see a lot of teams do sort of not necessarily a desperation trade, but a trade that makes a big impact now in different sports because they want to win now. When they went out and got digs at, at the receiver and gave up first round picks and everything else, they changed their identity on offense changed completely because he is one of the best receivers at not only getting off the line of scrimmage but getting open quickly, and that's what Josh Allen needs. So in the NFC, it's the frozen tundra. It's Green Bay, and the Packers are playing great. But uh, Tom Brady's seen it all, and I would think that you know when you've thrown the ball in New England in playoff games in January, okay, well Green Bay, great. Even when he's gone on the road, he's had to go to places like Denver and Pittsburgh. Not exactly glamorous winter weather stuff. So I think all that stuff goes out the window. And don't his teammates draw a lot of confidence when your quarterback is like that? I mean, it it seems like. All that stuff is, it's great. It's a fun story, and certainly they'll highlight it on the broadcast. But I don't see how this is going to, I mean, Tampa Bay is either going to be good enough or not good enough. It speaks to the point of what I said earlier. The quarterbacks get the credit, and then they also get the blame. This is not going to be a quarterback game. The fact is, this is going to be Aaron Rodgers versus that Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. And if you learned anything from this defense, you saw them last week against the Saints where they played with an attitude. I mean, they played angry. They pushed around the Saints. And this is the difference maker for this Buccaneers team. Look, I, you know, I have my, my various conspiracy theories when it comes to the way the NFL works as a business. And one of them in this year is the fact that with fan attendance down, wouldn't it be great if you created a Super Bowl or had a way to create a Super Bowl where you had two of the most talked about quarterbacks playing against one another? Well, that could be Josh Allen, that could be Tom Brady. And wouldn't it be great for the NFL if you had this, this scenario where you had history being made, where there's no team that's ever played in this home stadium, a home stadium that hosted a Super Bowl? Well, that would be great if you had Tom Brady and Josh Allen. 
or Patrick Mahomes. Either way, those are all storylines, especially when you know the NFL has already said it's going to do its best to maximize the amount of money when it comes to the Super Bowl because they took a loss everywhere else. With that being said, all in all, this is not an advantage for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. There is no home field advantage because Tom Brady has played in the snow and he's playing against a good defense. Uh, and the fact is, is that when Aaron Rodgers had to play against a good defense, whether it be home or the road, he hasn't come out on the end, on the top end of winning. So you got Brady already at the top of the list of all-time yep. quarterbacks. I mean, everybody <laughs> puts him there. And Aaron Rodgers has been very, very good. He only has the one Super Bowl. How much do you buy in in order to be up there? You've got to have more than one if you're a quarterback. I've never agreed with the hardware defines you as a Hall of Fame player. Um, I was recently asked uh, the question, is Philip Rivers a Hall of Famer? Without a doubt, I said yes. Very quickly. And they're like, well, he doesn't have the round. Neither did Dan Marino. Neither did. I mean, there, there are players, you know, Dan Fouts. I said, you know, the fact is, is that when you look at the numbers and you look at the level of consistency, that is what grades or, you know, um, creates my grade for the Hall of Fame. You cannot tell the story of the history of the NFL without including this player. I do believe that. It, it, there, are, there are players in there that I have the utmost respect for that I don't think were Hall of Famers. That's just my opinion. You know, but when it comes to Chargers and when it comes to uh, you know, players, just you know, and I've had arguments with them. You know, one of them was you know, Michael Strahan. Another one was uh, uh, LaDainian Thomason. I didn't think they were Hall of Famers. Curtis Martin. I didn't think they were Hall of Famers. Great players, but I didn't think they were Hall of Famers. That's my opinion. It's the same thing when it comes to Phillip Rivers. Philip Rivers, in my opinion, is a Hall of Famer because over the time that he was a player, he did it at a level that made him competitive. He won football games. Because he didn't win a championship, and I do believe in football, it's a team game. It's a team, then it constitutes a team championship. I'm not holding it against him that he didn't win one. That's just, that's just my opinion. But there are people out there, oh, well, you got to look at the hardware. you got to look at the touchdowns. you got to look at all these. No, no, no. I'm not an analytics guy. I watch this guy. I watch this guy beat teams that I played on. I watch this guy beat teams that I covered. I'm, I, I see this. As long as he's done it, he's been good. He's been competitive. He's been a starter. Honor him. I can't tell the story of the NFL without including him. So, LaDainian Tomlinson is not a Hall of Famer? Not in my opinion, because he didn't. Really? In my opinion, he wasn't available when you needed him most, and those were the big games. Playoffs. Huh. Wow. All right, we got to spend a couple minutes here with you on the uh, on the Pac-12. You heard the commissioner right. is out. You couldn't be surprised by that. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, where does the Pac-12 go from here, and and what do they need to focus on in this new commissioner? Because you're you're a former Pac-10 football player, and now yeah. you're the Pac-12 analyst, right. and obviously they're getting shoved to the side of the national discussion here. Certainly. Well, the first thing comes is maximize uh, your amount of exposure when it happens. It's, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, the, the new commissioner, uh, whoever they are, pushes the Pac-12 to get the maximum amount of exposure to do what it does. Now the Pac-12 has to respond collectively uh, and, and sports-wise to be competitive. And what I mean by that is you have to win games versus other conferences to make yourself notable. That's simple. So what do they need to look for in terms of somebody who is the new replacement and the new commissioner? And Does he have to, how or she, for that matter, uh, more business well, yeah, sense, more football sense? To- 
Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to the ideology of what's going to what's going to allow the conference to grow on a national and global scale. And what I mean by that is when you talk about today's market, it's all about the entertainment factor. Uh, it's about, I mean, and not necessarily the overall, the underlying aspect, but it's part of it. The entertainment factor to make people want to watch, to make people the, the draw. If you look at the evolution of the SEC and you look at what Alabama has done for the conference collectively, it's a, Alabama, it's a top-heavy conference, but when you go to certain regions, there are, there are uh, universities or entities that captivate that audience and control that offense. I mean, I'll control that, that audience, whether it's Alabama on, on ESPN, SEC Network, and they have their own show. There are things like that that the Pac-12 is capable of doing because it has, it has that sort of history, that lineage, but you have to showcase it when it comes up to the standard of others around the country. So how much faith do you have that they're really going to turn this around? Because there are some things. There doesn't seem to be as much passion for college football in the West. There certainly aren't as many people. There are some things built in here. Uh, there's more teams competing head-to-head uh, with the NFL than there are in other parts of the country, certainly in the SEC. Right. Well, I don't necessarily agree that there's not an, um, a, a passion towards it. I think it's regional. And I think if you want to make it, you know, either um, uh, you know, you want to make it again, nationwide or whatever, that's going to be the challenge. The thing is that we love, and I'm speaking with you guys in, in, in mind, we love Pac-12 football. We love Pac-12 sports. Not only because we have our certain connection to it, but we're also in the region we enjoy watching or, and, and, and enjoy being and talking about it. But in order for a national scale, for people to be in Louisiana or you know Florida or you know back east in New Jersey, in order for them to love Pac-12 sports, you've got to be competitive. And you've got to be in a, in a, in a degree to where people want to watch and people want to respect because, you know what, your team came in here and beat our team on our own field tariff. You know, so if I want to be respected in, in the Horseshoe in Columbus and Ohio State, well, somebody needs to go, go in there and beat them and beat them on a national television game. And something like, well, geez, I, I didn't expect, you know, Utah to come in here and beat Ohio State the way they did. You know, Day and those guys were riding high, but I saw a lot out of Utah. I got a lot of respect for this program. Let me pay attention. That's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah, I totally agree on that. As far as the commissioner goes, it's hard to hold that posi- that person uh, responsible for those types of on-the-field things. I'm wondering Agreed. if, for, for just to start, if they need to clean up the optics, meaning get out of San Francisco with the outrageous rent that you're paying and have don't have stupid calls and replays where your own coaches are going after you and things along those lines. Get on DirecTV. How far can that go to restoring it? Well, that's the start. Those are the baby steps. Those are yeah. the things in my mind that you have to take a couple of steps backwards to get to run forward because those are the things on people's mind. So you listen to your audience. This is the way I would kind of do it. You listen to your audience. You talk about those things that you just mentioned, and you find a way to make those things right, whether it's get on direct TV to make yourself exposed so you can show your product. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not supposed to. The Pac-12 didn't get in this position and what they're in and, and the way people feel about them overnight. You take what the people have said, your fan base, and then you, 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 you fix that. That will cause your fan base to grow. You don't have any control over the competition. The only thing you can send is a note to your universities and to your coaches, do the best you can. And they will. They'll get there. They're, they will find a way. 
when you look at recruiting at football today, I know, I know for a fact that Alabama goes into people's homes and they said, we'll have your kid in the National Football League in three, three years. That's a recruiting tool. Herm Edwards in ASU goes into people's houses and says, I'll have your kid with a degree in three years. That's a recruiting tool. It, it is what it is. But you want to be competitive, you find and you listen to what the children have, or what the guys that you're recruiting have always said about what they want and what they focused on. You recruit that. You harness that, you get that to be productive, you put that product on, on the field, and you showcase it on TV, and next thing you know, you've got a wonderful product that everybody wants to follow or people are looking forward to looking uh, to watching. Lincoln, as always, we appreciate having you on. Thanks for coming on and talking a little football today. Anytime, guys. Be well. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst, talking about the commish moving the league forward in the AFC and NFC title games. And PK, that whole NFL thing, uh, you fans have to love hearing that because they know their coaches can go in and say that and that they do go in and say that. <laughs> They're telling defensive backs, we'll get you in the NFL. They're telling defensive linemen, we'll get you in the NFL. Sure. Yeah, they have to love that. Now they need to have quarterbacks and receivers and others along those lines. But, yeah, I mean, obviously they've been able to say that, and that's been a, a distinct advantage for them for a number of years now. DJ and PK, David Locke coming up, radio voice of the Jazz in about 15 minutes. If you missed Shaq and Donovan Mitchell, well, we will get to that next. Stay with us.